I'm just so excited to share Ed's verse this week. Trent and I are, are loving this sermon series. I, I know we're loving it because we have the chance to get to know each other in, in this season where we feel like we don't know anyone. Some of these verses that, that we've been sharing are verses that we've held on to personally. They've been times of struggle, these verses have become really important to us. Or they're verses that have brought about joy into our life, even in the midst of pain. Some of us maybe had this verse for a, for a long time. Well, others of us have discovered a new verse, and that old verse has kind of slid to the side as we've kind of had this new verse be our mantra. It doesn't matter when or, or how we found that verse. What's important is that these verses shape us. These verses remind us of the power of our God. You're going to see in the, in the video in just a second from Ed that Ed actually refers back to Shirley and why her verse was so important. I know that some of you, as you are hearing these verses are getting stronger. You feel like you're getting more wind in your sails. Maybe you're feeling more encouraged. That's the power of Scripture. Good, good morning, Renfrew. Good, good morning, Renfrew. Good, good morning, Renfrew. I'm Ed Bryant, and I am Rachel's father. And I am uh, thankful to be able to share one of my favorite verses with you this morning. After Shirley talked about uh, Christ being our solid rock on which I stand, my mind went to the last verse of that song where it says, When he shall come with trumpet sound, uh, oh, then may I be him and be him found. And that is where I'd like to stand, on Christ the solid rock. So that's my standing. I'm, I'm, I'm with Shirley in that. My favorite verse is from Ephesians 4, and it's part of how to walk. And how do I walk in Christ as a new creature? And there is a useful piece that when I was a kid, I heard this verse. Uh, so if you're, if you're stealing things, as, as a Christian, don't do that anymore. That's what this verse is. But like a lot of teaching, we don't get the whole verse in our mind. A lot of things that we learn, we don't get the full context until later on as we work it through. That's not the end of the verse. It, it, it really says, if you used to rob, stop robbing. So, so stop stealing. And start working in order to first work a earn an honest living for yourself, and then to be able to share with the poor. And that verse, being able to share with the poor, so first of all, earn some money for us, be able to share with the poor. Rachel and I were down in El Salvador one year, and we were down there building habitat homes, as well as a church that had set up a banking system, a, a cooperative banking system, credit union, for a, a five needy communities. And I got to meet a guy one day who um, was carrying this little piece with him, 
and he was a farmer who had transferred, had borrowed $300 that we had funded through a Canadian church so that he could plant a crop of plantain and fund that as well as fund his year of no income while he got rid of his corn crop. And he got to stand in front of me and tell me that because of that loan that we made him, from the funds that we were able to provide with our hands and to be able to give or to use for helping the poor, he was able to increase his family's income by double. So he borrowed $300 and his cash flow increased by two full times. Great, great return. So I bought, I bought this machete from him and I keep it up in my living room just as a memento to remind me that not only am I not supposed to rob, but to work hard, but to also be able to share with the needy. Thank you. Thanks, Ed. I know that as we're watching that video, some of us are thinking, how did Ed carry that in his carry-on bag? You can ask Ed that later. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. I appreciate the narrative that Ed gave us around his verse. And if I can be so bold... I believe this describes who Ed really is. Ed's verse is found in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28, which says this, Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with their hands, their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. That is a great verse. And today, I actually want to show you a few things that will amplify that verse in a deeper way, what Ed talked about. The entire passage is found in Ephesians 4, and it's a great passage of Scripture. I would encourage you to read it uh, this afternoon. Actually, the entire book of Ephesians is a book that you should read. The, the theme of Ephesians could be stated as this, and it's pretty simple. Christians get along with each other. Another theme that, that's found in Ephesians is to keep Christ's body, the church, pure and holy. They, those things kind of fit. A key verse in Ephesians is found in the next chapter, Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, which says this, Therefore, be in imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us, showed us, and gave himself up for us. He gave himself up as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. The, the last part of Ephesians, starting in chapter 4 and going to the end, the, the Apostle Paul, the author, gives us some practical advice on how to live this holy and pure and Christ-centered lifestyle. And this is right where Ed showed us his verse. It's right where Ed's verse fits in. So keep your Bibles open to Ephesians 4. And you might even see a heading that's found in your Bible that says something about unity. That's what this chapter's all about. 
So we're going to read Ephesians 4. If you don't have a Bible, it'll be on the screen in front of you. And we'll see how Ed's verse actually fits into this entire section. So we're actually going to read 15 verses. The guys upstairs love when I give 15 verses, so just follow along. Cheer them on as you go. So I tell you this, verse 17, and insist on it. So I'm not only telling you this, I insist on it, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their own thinking. They are darkened with their understanding and separated from the life of God, the life that God talks about in John chapter 10, that I've come and you may have it to the full, because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity. And they are full of greed. Ed should have chose that verse. That, however, is not the way of life you learn. When you heard about Christ and were taught uh, in him in accordance with the truth, that is Jesus. When we see Jesus, we see truth. You were taught, verse 22, with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God, in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, verse 25, each of you must put off falsehood. Speak truthfully to your neighbors, for we're all in this together. In your anger, do not sin. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. Don't give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their hands, that they might have something to share with those in need. Verse 29, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building up others according to their needs, that it will be a benefit to those that hear it. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And verse 31, get rid of all bitterness Rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every, uh, every kind of malice. Verse 32, be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgive each other, just as Christ God forgave you. Let me pray. God, in the next few minutes, as I unpack these, this verse, may our hearts be ready to hear the words that you need us to hear. Lord, help me not be a distraction. Allow my friends to hear words that are from you. We ask all this in your name. Amen. Uh, as, as we read those 15 verses, it's in that context that we start to understand this profound weight of all that God has done for us. And Paul exhorts us to respond to that in a very specific way. Paul is commanding the church to live as, as Christians, to be different, 
Uh, go back to, to verse 25, because it'll start to make sense when we actually get to, to verse 28 and looking at the stealing. Therefore, put off falsehood. I remember a class in, in Bible school where the, the professor said, anytime there is therefore, we need to ask, why is it therefore? The tense that's written here is incredibly important. We find that Paul is not precisely offering us a command. Rather, Paul's assumption is that we believers, we Christ followers, have already put off the old self. And we're just currently putting on the new self. We've been changed already. Therefore, points back to the verses that we find at the start of Ephesians. Because you've put on the new self, which is created in the likeness of, of God and has been created in righteousness and holiness of truth, lay aside all falsehood. Be real. Verse 28, don't steal. I have this, this picture in my mind of a man holding falsehood in his hand. And then making the conscious decision to, to lay it down. You see, righteousness, living a right life, actually takes a conscious effort and a daily commitment to it. Yes, we can point to that verse that says we rest in Christ. But every day I have to choose righteousness. On the one hand, the battle has already been won. We're no longer slaves to sin. But on the other hand, we live in this broken and fallible world that seems to make war against the good and the, the bad. If you want to read something this afternoon, I, I would just go into Romans chapter 6 and 7. Paul struggles with this. He's going, I want to do good, I just can't do it. We must decide to lay aside the sin that we find in our hands. In this case, Paul's telling us that we need to lay aside falsehood. My question for us this morning is, what have you and I stolen from God? As Paul reminds us earlier in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19, he says this, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners, you're no longer strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. Paul's describing this, that at one time we were far off, but now we're in Christ. We're no longer subjected to the will of Satan or the world. We're no longer considered Gentiles. We're Part of the body of Christ. Hence why he wrote, we're members of one body. So you and I are to walk in accordance in the manner worthy of our calling. Are we still, in fact, living lives characterized by deceit? Maybe lying, maybe falsehood? For me this week, the realization was, if I'm living like that, then I'm stealing from what God has given to us, which is grace. You know, it's, it's easy to be flippant. 
We look at that command and we go, yes, lying and falsehood is wrong. But it's not just enough to simply refrain from doing the wrong things. It's not just enough to stop lying. As Christ followers, we must also do the right things. We are to, to put off the old self, the old nature. But Paul doesn't stop there. He commands us to put on the new self, the new nature. We're called to pursue righteousness. We're the body of Christ. On page five of my notes, here it is. Here's the simple deal. If you hear nothing else this morning, we have a simple choice. You are either into following Jesus, or the alternative is that you're being out. You're either in or you're out. So which one are you? Believers must now live like this. We must be a body of people who embody truth, who live the truth. Well, go, go back for a second to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26. Be angry and don't sin. Don't let the, the sun go down on your anger. And don't give an opportunity to the devil. It's interesting that, that Paul here presents two competing kind of concepts. Be angry and don't sin. Why would Paul encourage us to be angry? Well, there's two ways of, of reading this verse. The, the first reading takes this phrase, be angry, as a hard imperative, and reads it as though Paul's saying to us, just get angry. This doesn't make sense. The second way of understanding this verse is that Paul is, is making a statement, almost as if Paul's saying, if you're angry, be angry. The NIV translators actually do a great job with this, capturing this in a soft manner. In your anger, don't sin. Well, it's interesting that, that Paul describes this. He is actually pointing back to David in Psalm chapter 4. So in Psalm chapter 4, verse 4, and you see it on your screen, it says this, Be angry and don't sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Here David, the, the, uh, the psalmist, is facing fierce opposition. It's early in his time. He's still hiding from, from King Saul. He's facing criticism. He's facing slander. Of course, David is feeling angry. The truth is that you and I can face certain circumstances where it's right to feel angry because God himself feels anger. When faced with cruelty, Injustice, calamity, abuse, and murder. It's right that we feel an emotional response. It's right when we read about the, the exploitation of children or human rights abuses that we feel angry. It's right that we respond with anger to suffering. It's right that we're not okay with it. That's what Paul's saying. 
I want you to consider a world. No. Consider a church which watches horrendous acts of cruelty inflicted upon the helpless and feels nothing. Such a church would be no church at all. The God of the Bible is a God who hates sin and feels anger toward the wicked. However, note what Paul says in verses 26 and 27. In your anger, do not sin. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. We don't really say this a lot, verse 27, because it's going to give Satan a foothold. Why is the and do not sin necessary? Paul recognizes, and I think this describes Paul. Remember, Paul was a guy that struggled to get along with individuals. Paul recognizes this, that unrestrained anger is the gateway to much sin. Fun checked, anger can lead to violence, retribution, and revenge. That is why Paul reminds us to be on our guard. And Paul gives us great parameters in case our anger breaks out and leads us into sin. Paul warns us to, to not allow our anger to slip out of control. Don't allow your anger to burn for more than one day. Paul writes, don't let your sun go down on your anger. Because if we do, you and I know this, it provides a, a foothold for bitterness. And it leads us into even more sin. So Paul here says, don't give Satan an opportunity to affect your life. But let's actually go back to Psalm chapter 4. So David faced this incredible opposition. And it was okay that he was struggling, that he was angry. But we see in, in Psalm chapter 4 that David's anger doesn't last because it's replaced with something deeper. It's replaced with something more precious, something more powerful. Psalm chapter 4, verse 4 says this, Tremble, don't sin. When you're on your bed, search your hearts, be silent. Offer the sacrifices of the righteous and trust in God. Many, Lord, are asking, who will help us? Who will bring us prosperity? Let the light of your face, God, shine on us. God, fill my heart with joy when the grain and the new wine abound. Well, in the English Standard Version, the, the translators use the word tremble as anger. Be angry and don't sin. All right, Matt, well, what can I do in my anger? I think you need to ask an even more co important question than that. What can I do in my anger? You should ask yourself, what can I actually be angry about? Well, anytime your anger is based on selfishness, I'm right. It's my way or the highway. Then you need to repent. And you need to take no action. Be angry and don't sin. Be angry. Don't hold on to it. And now you see why Ed's verse is so important in verse 28. Anyone 
who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work. Do something useful with your own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Again, we find that this is both a command and exhortation. Paul is instructing this group in Ephesians, Ephesus. Those who are stealing must steal no longer. Now, theft, stealing back in in Paul's time, was considered to be one of the most heinous crimes ever. Jesus calls all to come, and as we come, we're transformed. Here Paul's going, when we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, we're changed. The thief will steal no longer. Those who acted one way won't act the same way. The the thief must stop stealing and get a job. This again is Paul's way of showing us, put off the old self, take off the old self, and put on the new self. Christ followers, Christians are called to engage in work. You and I must be characterized by our honesty. This means that our, our money must come from honest work. Now, that's great. We understand that. But here's what Paul's really pushing at. Believers have a different perspective on work. Us as as Christ followers don't just look forward to that paycheck every two weeks or a month. We look at it different because it's God's money. The motivation for our work, as Paul is saying, is different than those in the world. We work so that we can love, assist, and help our brothers and sisters who are in need. Our work, our paycheck, is for the good of others. Our work is so that you and I can be a blessing. There's a contrast here, as in all the other verses, between the old self and the new self. The old self operated in selfishness, even to, to, even to the point of taking what that person didn't earn. He was a thief. But the new self labors with his own hands. He shares the, the fruit of his labors, the, the check with those who aren't as fortunate. You see, what Paul's getting at is repentance. Repentance is the core issue. At one time, we were under the influence of Satan. You know, the one who came to kill, steal, and destroy. Kind of sounds like mad at times. But now we're on to our Heavenly Father, who is truth, gave His Son so that you and I might have life. One lifestyle is about taking, stealing. The other lifestyle is about giving. Well, let's continue here. Verse 29. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building up others according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Again, 
Paul's showing us a contrast here. The health of the body of Christ and the good of the church. Paul has earned war, warned believers to refrain from falsehood and speak the truth. Now Paul's putting a, a bow on it saying, well, it also involves all kinds of different speech. It's important that you and I recognize that, that there's a way of speaking which does great harm. Gossip, slander, unloving, unhelpful criticism, foolish talk, frivolous conversations can do great harm. We know this. Words aren't just merely words. Words have the power to destroy reputations, to discourage, to, to break the hearts of fellow believers. Paul here is saying, don't live like that. Rather, Paul is giving us a, a difference. We need to speak to encourage, to build up. So then the world can see that the church actually is full of gracey and, uh, grace and mercy. If we're the body of Christ, then whatever we say has to intentionally build up the rest of the body. Because if we do, the gift that we give is blessing and grace. You see, the alternative to truth is falsehood. The alternative to selfish anger is righteous and sinless anger. The alternative to theft is hard work and giving and blessing. The alternative to building up the body is to tear it down. Or negatively, the alternative to glory to glorifying the Holy Spirit is to grieve the Holy Spirit. You see, gossip, unwholesome talk, isn't just about protecting unity. If that's all it does, then everything would be fine as long as we just keep our words private. But unwholesome words defile the child of God in the same way that sexual impurity defiles him. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 6.20, We've been bought with a price. Glorify God with our body. Unwholesome words grieve the Holy Spirit. The word grieve actually means sorrow. I don't believe that I can surprise God or let him down. I don't believe I can ruin his plans. But here's what I am realizing in my own life. Every time I grieve the Holy Spirit, I devalue the cross. Paul exhorts us to speak up in such a way that builds others up. We live for God because he's at work in our life. In our lives, he motivates, he compels, he empowers. And, by, and God, by his spirit, is at work in his church, this church, increasing our thirst for righteousness and the things of God. My prayer, and I know Pastor Trent and the council's prayer, is that COVID would develop in us an unshakable togetherness. You see, God is at, at, at work by his spirit this morning. We're called to please him and not grieve him. We're called to live and walk and work in a way which dis displays the character and the nurture of God and affirms the work of the Holy Spirit. We are called to work and walk in love. 
We're called to work and walk in accordance with his grace. Because when we do, this makes him who is truly glorious worthy of praise. And it makes the church relevant to a world that has lost hope. Let's pray. God, if I said anything of, that wasn't of you, please take it from my, my friends' minds. What a great reminder. Thank you for, for Ed's verse that sandwiched in some powerful scripture. Thank you for the contrast that we see in, in Paul's life. How we're to put on the new self, get rid of the old self. How we have to choose to do this. God, may we choose that we're in. As we sit in our homes this week, bundled up because it's cold outside, may you draw us to pray for our friends and our family more than we've ever done. May you cause us to fall deeper in love with you. We love and adore you. We ask all this in your name. Amen.